do, you know, here in the life of CCC. And, you know, today is a day of celebration. It's a day of heart. It's a celebration of hard work. It's a celebration of teamwork. It's a celebration of sacrifice. But it's also a celebration of God's faithfulness and God's goodness in this journey. And in the history of God's people, there were several occasions in the Bible where there was new spaces that were um, introduced, new spaces that were opened up. And, and one was when the temple, Solomon's temple, was completed. Another one was later when the people returned from the land and Nehemiah oversaw the construction of the walls and the reopening of the temple of Jerusalem. But when Solomon completed the temple in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 6, he said this, he says, God has been faithful to your people Israel and to your servant David. You see, God had promised to David that one day the temple would be constructed. But he said, you're not going to be the one to do it. It's going to be um, your son, Solomon, who's going to be the one who's going to do that. And when Solomon finishes, he asks this question. He says, where will God dwell on the earth? Where will God dwell on the earth? I think we had that verse from 2 Chronicles 6.18. He says, will God really dwell on the earth with humans? Because they knew God to be in the heavens, but would God dwell here? And the temple was a place, the tabernacle was a place where God dwelled, where God existed, and where God, God's spirit resided. And so for that's why they had laws and regulations about entering the temple and entering the place of worship um, and how and who was able to do that. But in the New Testament, God changed that because it's not that God is in a place like he was in the Old Testament but in 2 Corinthians 6, we looked at this verse last week, um, it says that our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And so if the Spirit resides, if God's Spirit resides in our bodies, and He doesn't just reside in a place, what is the purpose of this place? What is the purpose of it? Well, the place in and of itself is not a holy place, but when the people inside meet with God, it becomes a holy place. We talk about it all the time, that this place is a tool. We hope that this place is a tool, a tool that introduces people to the love of God, where they can love Him fully and be able to express that love to others in a deep, meaningful way. And I wanted you to listen to a story of a woman here at CCC as she shares the story of how God used this place before we were ever here and has continued to do so in her life. So watch her story. Hi, my name is Brenda Brombach and I live here in Reinhold. I'd like to share with you this morning a bit about how this facility has impacted my life. I was born into a Christian family and I accepted Christ as my Savior as, at an early age. I um, was confirmed at 12 and became a member of a mainline denominational church. I was taught biblical principles and spiritual disciplines, but the idea that you could have a personal relationship with Christ was foreign to me. And in my teenage years, I began to notice that many of the adults in my church had lifestyles or attitudes that didn't line up with their Sunday morning persona. And as I struggled myself to live out what I was taught, it seemed like no one else acknowledged this and I became disillusioned and I stopped attending church. And it would be in my late 20s that my personal life circumstances would drive me to seek God again. And I walked into this building on a Sunday morning and I met Jesus not just as my savior but as my friend through the love and acceptance that I received here from his people. 
And so since I had been baptized as an infant, I participated in believer's baptism and became an active member. And for the next 18 years, I would serve in a variety of capacities here. But most importantly, I developed meaningful and authentic relationships. And it was in that atmosphere that I was able to be transparent. And as I shared my personal struggles, other people sought me out and shared their stories with me. And I began to pray with them and encourage them. And I felt that I had found God's purpose for my life. I started a support group specifically designed for people who were struggling with difficult life circumstances. And even though I was struggling with some really tough things myself, I felt strong in the Lord and empowered by the work that he was doing in and through my life. My entire social and spiritual life revolved around this building. But that was all soon to change. Okay, so after a change in leadership here, the whole atmosphere here began to change. And I was told that I would no longer be permitted to lead the group that had been my passion for the last several years. And some of the people who had attended that group asked me to continue at my home, and I did. And I found out that they were cautioned not to associate with me by leadership. I was uh, devastated and angry and hurt and confused, and I, I couldn't understand why God would allow this to happen. But I accepted it, and I began to look for a new church. And I church hopped for about a year, and then I started to attend a small uh, independent church. But I had difficulty in letting down my guard because I had been hurt so deeply. And I couldn't fully um, open myself to other people. And it was during that time that my son completed suicide. And when you don't have authentic Christian relationships, you tend to get a lot of uh, Christian platitudes and pat answers in uh, response to your struggles and pain. And I can remember after one such exchange that I became so frustrated and angry that I told God that if I had to hear someone say, God won't give you more than you can handle, or all things work together for the good of those who love him, I thought I might just explode. It wasn't that I didn't believe those things. And I knew they were meant to be helpful, but all they succeeded in doing was make me feel even uh, more like a failure at living out the Christian life. And so, like Elijah, I ran and I hid and I wanted to die. And I stopped going to church. And it was during that time that I uh, would pass by this building and I would grieve the loss of my passion and purpose and the real and genuine support I had known here. I had been to the mountaintop. I had experienced the pure joy of seeing God work through my life, and I felt as if I would never find this again. Um, I, I noticed that this building rarely seemed to be used, and I lamented over the awful waste of all the spiritual, emotional, and financial resources 
that have been poured into this place by faithful Christians over so many years. And I began to shrivel spiritually. But God wasn't finished with me. It was through my own personal circumstances, again, that he would move me to seek a place in his church where I could be ministered to. And so I started to visit churches. And I would pass by here, and I noticed the coming soon signs. And I thought to myself, when they move here, I'm going to visit. And since I lived close by, I drove by quite often, and it seemed to me that soon wasn't coming very soon at all. And as I drove by one day, I heard God say, well, why do you have to wait? And this wasn't a still small voice. This was loud and clear, like slap you upside the head kind of experience. Why do you have to wait? And so that Sunday, I drove to Gaiman School, and I attended CCC for the first time. I had a divine appointment with God that day. I cried through most of the service. I felt as if the message had been written and spoken directly to me, and I knew that I had found my new spiritual home. Although it would take me some time to get plugged in, I can say to you this morning that I am proud and thankful to be part of a church that recognizes the struggle and faces it head on, all the while seeking to love God fully and love others deeply. I'm especially excited about the opening of the sanctuary, freeing the gym for whatever way God chooses to reach the community here. Seeing this building alive with believers and serving its purpose is evidence of God's great redemptive power and love. He redeems people's circumstances and pain and suffering and, yes, even buildings. Thank you. Yeah, pretty amazing story. <clears throat> I didn't even script it. I told her I couldn't have scripted it that well, Brenda. You did just such an amazing job <clears throat> sharing the story of what God has done in your life. And so I found myself asking, so how does a building do this? How does a building be involved in people's lives being changed and God rescuing, redeeming them as, he, as she talked about in her story? And I realized it's really not a building who does that. It's really people who do that. It's people's lives. It's their love for one another, their, their love that God has for them being poured out on the lives of others. And I found myself wondering, so who will God do this to? Where will that be spread? And I'd like to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, our guys have some there in the back. They'll pass them out. If you don't have a Bible, love to have you join there or, or find it on your phone. <clears throat> Matthew 22. <clears throat> and as you're turning there in Matthew 22, Matthew 22 is a, it's a parable. It's a story that Jesus told. And in this story that he tells, it's not a story with a happily ever after ending, but it's one of those stories that you're listening to and all of a sudden out of the blue it kind of hits you sideways and you wince and you're like oh that was for me that didn't feel too good so the question is who is this story being told to well in matthew chapter 21 verse 45 it says this the chief priests and the pharisees heard jesus parable they knew he was talking about them it was for the chief priests and the parables they were looking for a way to arrest him but because of the they were afraid of the crowd because the people heard 
because the people held that he was a prophet. So the religious leaders of that day, the religious community, they knew this was coming at them. And they were trying to find a way to kill Jesus. And so Jesus begins his story and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who planned a wedding banquet for his son. And Jesus starts off by this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And we, we've looked at this periodically over the last two years, this idea of God's kingdom, not my kingdom, not the way I want my life to run, not the way our government wants to run the government or the political powers of that day, but this is what God king, God's kingdom is going to be like. And he says, like, so it's a parallel. He says, I want you to see what his way of running things is like. And he says, it's like a king whose son is going to get married, and he's going to throw a party for him. So when you think about the components to a wedding, what are some of the components that are important for a wedding? What are some of the things you need to have in a wedding? Tell me. Bride and groom, that's right. That's one of the things you need to have in a wedding. What else do you need to have in a wedding? I heard a reception. What else? Somebody say cake. Somebody said cake. You know. <laughs> what else? Ceremony. How about a ceremony? You need to have a ceremony. Um, how about guest? You need to have guests at a wedding, right? And so it says here that he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet. So he had sent out invitations in advance to the people that they were going to invite to come to the wedding. My wife and I were discussing this because one of the things we do is we're involved in and invited to a lot of weddings. And we talked about how weddings used to be very, very, very big. And they've actually gotten smaller in recent years. And so if you think about who gets invited to the wedding, who are you going to invite? Well, you're going to invite your immediate family, of course, and you're going to invite an extended family. You know, if you like them, you'll invite them. If you don't, you can leave them off. If they're extended, that, no, they won't really know, you know. But you invite extended family. You know, you might invite some coworkers or some, some personal friends or maybe your small group at church or maybe a neighbor that you've lived next to for a long, long time, right? So you have kind of the people that know you, the people that you have a close relationship. Those are the people that get invited to the wedding. And so the guests have been invited, and he goes out there in verse 2 to tell them that it's time to come. But look what they do in the end of verse 3. They refuse to come. They refuse to come. Now, I'm sure that you've been invited to things that you refuse to come to, right? We've all had those experiences, right? You get the invitation, you open it up, you look at it, you look at the calendar, you're like, Ah, I already have something there. It's not going to work, right? So it's a conflict. can't come because of that. Or you get the invitation and you're like, I don't know if I want to do that, you know. And so you're like, maybe I'll just pass. Or can I plan something else on that day so I tell them I have something else going on that day, you know. Um, you know maybe you don't want, to, don't want to buy a gift. You know somebody else is going to come and not really want to be there for whatever reason, whatever reason. We've all had experiences where we've said, ah, sorry, we'd love to, not going to work out. But this is a little stronger. I mean, they refuse to come. They refuse to come. It almost gives you the sense that it would have been possible. They didn't really have an excuse, but they said, sorry, not coming. Sorry, not coming. The text doesn't really talk about this, but imagine what that rejection feels like to have the people closest to you saying, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be there. Ouch. Kind of wince, don't you, just thinking about that. Um, but as I thought about this story and I thought about, you know, what this looks like as it relates to faith, uh, 
Sometimes the hardest people to see that something has happened in your life, something's happened in your heart, something's happened in your faith, is it the people far away or the people close to you? People close to us, right? Yeah. Mom and Dad, I had this great experience and, you know, I'm really going to walk with God in this new area of my life and they're thinking, yeah, we'll see. You know? Oh, you go to a coworker. You are not going to believe. You got to come with me to this place. It's you know the the teaching is is real in life, and the and the music is great. And they're like, yeah, when's that deadline due? And 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 uh, who's got the expense reports? And you know who's buying lunch today? You know, it's crazy. But sometimes the people closest to us are the ones that don't see the things that are most significant to us. Sometimes they do, but often they don't. Often they don't. And so he tells them, tries to turn up the heat a little bit in verse 4. So he sends the servants back again after the first rejection, sent more servants. And look what he says. He says, tell those who have been invited that I've made dinner. The ox and the fattened calf have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He said, the spread is all there. The steak and the shrimp are cooked to perfection. The appetizers are to die for. It's all ready. Come on. Will you come? Will you come? Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Wow. First time they just were like, no, no, not going to work. This time they just like, this time they just walked away. Went to whatever they were doing. To whatever was going on. Um, it gets even worse in the next verse. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. They abused them to the point of death and eventually killing him. The people that were closest to him, the ones he invited, they rejected him, they ignored him, they abused him, and they eventually killed him. And what was Jesus talking about? Jesus was giving them a little glimpse, a little snapshot of what was about to happen to these religious leaders. In just a very few days, they were about to reject, to abandon, to mistreat, and ultimately to kill them. How ironic it is that the people that we're often closest to, the people that we attempt to introduce to God or talk to about spiritual things or maybe even invite to church, they're the ones that have the most pushback in their relationships with us. Well, the king said, what are we going to do with all this food? We got all this food. We can't get wasted. What are we going to do with it all? And so he says, go out and find some more people. He sends them out. He sends out the servants. He said, go out in the street and invite them to the banquet, anyone you can find. So they went and got all the people. The bad as well as the good in the wedding hall was full of guests. He said, I understand that the people that are closest to you, the people that you would think would obviously be the ones that are interested in what you have to offer, they have no interest in what you have to offer, so go find someone that will accept the invitation. And this story, you find this story often in Jesus' parables. In Jesus' parables. Story about a wedding, story about people invited, story about people rejecting. And then someone finally says, okay, I'll come. I'll come. These are people who are open to the opportunity to come. But as they came, it says in verse 11, the king came in to see the guest. Now, when the, when the king invited these people, they had no warning. 
They had no warning. They were just walking down the road, and the king says, hey, I've got a free meal. Anybody want a free meal? And the extroverts were like, yeah, all right, come on, here's a party. And the introvert's like, what, I didn't prepare for it. I don't have anything. I'm not dressed. You know, I'm not going to go. And the king says, I got it all taken care of. I got a great big wardrobe. Go in and pick something out and come into the wedding celebration. But it says in verse 11 that the king came in, and he noticed the guest who was not wearing any wedding clothes. And so it seems implied in the story here that the king had offered them not only an invitation to come, but then clothing to be dressed in and prepared for, for this event. And that clothing was an additional offer that the king made to them. Now, what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying you have to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way before you can come into my kingdom. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. So don't get caught up in that little, that little component, that little detail. What he is saying is that some people that will come in, that will initially receive his invitation, that they will not want to accept what Jesus has to offer. And he goes on to describe the response in the next verse. He says, the king told him, tie him hand and foot, throw him out in the darkness, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he said, for many are invited but few are chosen. And as I read through this story, and as I thought about this passage, it was really very a, a strong indictment for me personally. Because I have to say that there was a season in my life where I thought, as I would meet people, I'd think, ah, oh, they're kind of like me. They would be good people. So, so let's try to get them in the... Let's try to, to get them to follow Jesus. Let's try to get them to come to church. And then I'd meet other people that were different than me, and I thought... Well, I'm not sure. They're not like me, so I don't know if I could reach out to them. Maybe I'll leave them for somebody else. And as I read this story, that's not the way Jesus' kingdom works. It's not the way his kingdom works. He says, there's an invitation going to go out, and you know what? The people that are closest to you, the people that sometimes you think they would be the obvious ones to accept that invitation... They might not be. They might not be. They're too busy. They're preoccupied. They got too many other things. And I realized that in my own journey and my own experience with people and talking and interacting with them about God and matters of faith, I, I spent a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to convince people that really had no interest in God about Him. And I often ignored the people that were very interested in God and very hungry for a relationship with him just because they weren't close to me and weren't like me and maybe were a little different than me. And Jesus says in this story, he says, there's invitations waiting to go out. And he was telling this story for his disciples and for the religious community. He said, some of you think you've got this all figured out. You know who's going to be in. You know who's going to be there. You think you've got this all figured out. But I hate to tell you that some of the people you think are going to be in, that you think have this all figured out, they're actually too busy for me. Too busy for me. And as I read these excuses, I thought, these excuses that are here in this story are so painfully familiar. 
because we're so busy, we're so preoccupied, we just don't have time for God. And we'll get to it some other time. But Jesus says there's people that do have the time. There's people that are searching. There's people that are hungry. There's people that are waiting for an invitation. And he says, will you invite them to what I have to offer? As I thought about what this means for our church, um, God has given us an amazing location here. Amazing facilities, um, incredible visibility in our community. Uh, and there's not a person I don't talk to or show around who's not a part of our church community that, that just doesn't say to me, this is just amazing what God has given to you. But we don't want this to be worship of a space. Because this space is a tool for us to invite many other people to this invitation that Jesus has for them. And that invitation might not be the people you think it is. Might not always be the people that are closest or people that are most like you. But it might be people that are open to an invitation to know the King of Kings, and that's Jesus. Many of you have told me that you have the sense that God is doing something here. Um, that God is at work here. Um, and as I thought about that, I thought, you know, just because the sanctuary is finished, it doesn't mean that God is finished with us. Our community is watching us. You realize that? I was in eastern York for a playoff football game last week, and I'm, I'm standing there, and my mom and dad came down from Wilkes-Barre to go to the game, and, and I'm all bundled up. It was cold last Friday night, and I had a hat on, only like this much of my face, and, and, and I'm standing there, and someone, a voice comes from behind me and says, what are you doing to the front of the church? And I'm like, who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? And she's like, you know, you're tearing those bricks off. What are you going to do in the front of the church? And I had no idea who this was. I don't even know how she knew who I was. Some woman in Eastern York, probably from around here, recognized me and my, you know, this much, and she wants to know what we're doing. I'm like, well, we're we're kind of trying to figure it out. That's all I know, you know. Talk to Randy; he knows everything, you know. <laughs> but it just kind of reminded me that this community is watching what is happening here, and the community has observed this little bit of change on the outside, and those that have come through the inside, they've just been amazed at what's happening but as a staff we talk all the time that what's happening here is a picture of what God's doing in us he's changing us from the inside out he's exposing things in our lives that are deep-rooted parts of our past that he wants to redeem and change he's giving us hope for the future He's reminding us of our identity and our purpose and our uniqueness in Christ. And he's saying, I have a purpose for you and I have a plan for you. And it's not just done when this space gets done and you get to enjoy it. But there's people out there waiting for an invitation from the king. And he says, you are going to be my servants 
who are going to deliver it. And it's not just an invitation to come here. That's not what I'm saying. I hope you, don't, I hope you hear that this morning. It's an invitation to say to them, would you be interested in learning more about the king who rules my life and the one I've given my heart to? And maybe somewhere along the way it might be an invitation to hear. But we've got to build some more parking before that happens in God's time. Do you get the picture of this story? The picture of this parable? These religious leaders, they thought they knew who was in and who wasn't, and they thought they had it all figured out. And Jesus was like, that's not how my kingdom works. It's not how it works. My invitation is open to those who will receive it. And you can't be responsible. There will be some who you invite in, and they still won't accept this message. But that's not on you. If you get rejected, be encouraged you are in good company. Because my son was. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't be discouraged because God is the one that's going to transform them and change them. And I believe what God has for us here is his plan is for us to see this be a place that we, as we seek to know and experience God's love more fully in our lives than anything else that we love in this world, any other person, any other relationships, anything, any other career, any other possession, that he then fills us up with something we can offer to someone else that's starving for love and that would love to meet the king. As we close, I want to invite you to bow your heads. We just want to take a moment in prayer. And, and as we do so this morning... I want to ask you to just do a little introspection and say, God, am I willing to surrender and be open to what you want me to do? Are my hands open? Maybe even physically, just opening my hands and saying, God, I don't know who, I don't know how, I don't know in what way. But if you've been a recipient of an invitation to meet the king, and you've accepted that invitation. Are you open to offer that to others? And I want to invite you just to take a moment and say, God, I don't know how or in what way, but I want to be used by you. Father, we are so thankful for what you have done here, for the um, creativity, um, for the experience and skill, for the financial sacrifice and resources, um, for a place that we as a community get to meet with you every week. But God, you're not done just because the space is finished. You still have plans for us. 
And those plans start, Father, with hearts that are surrendered, hearts that are devoted to God more than anything else in this world. And Lord, for some right now, it's really hard to say, to feel like they have anything to offer because their pain and their struggles just seem really, really big right now. And God, I just pray that you would help them to be reminded that you use broken vessels, not perfect ones. So Lord, whatever it is you have for us, we continue to walk down this road and say, God, our, our heart's desire is to love you with everything that we have and then share that in this community. And we still don't fully know how or in what way you want us to do that. But as we continue to, to seek and explore and try and investigate, I pray that for each of us, we would say, God, who are the people that you want an invitation extended to in my life? To love, to serve, to point them to Jesus. God, some of us are already doing that. For some of us, we're not sure where we'll find the time because life seems way too full right now. And so, God, because of that, we need your help. We can't do this on our own, Jesus. In your name, amen.